So we have been talking about the book of Proverbs. Proverbs written by Solomon. And we're going through the first few chapters, um, which traditionally when we, as a church anyways, have gone through the book of Proverbs, we have gone through a lot of the later chapters. There's a lot of those short uh, Proverbs that are like one uh, sentence long and they compare something to something else. Or, But at this time, we're going through the first few chapters of Proverbs, which has kind of a highlighted theme and it brings wisdom. Wisdom is the key to that. And uh, I guess probably if you don't think you need wisdom, then you probably haven't lived very long in life. Right? Because wisdom is one of those things you absolutely need, and you will run up against every situation, whether it be at work or with family, at home, uh, even in church, where wisdom is important. Your finances, your, your life, your, the way you purchase things, everything you need is wrapped around with wisdom if you're going to do it well. So we're looking at wisdom and what it demands and what it requires and what its benefits are, okay? So wisdom is one of those things we're going to talk about wisdom in our, all right, two, I'm going to use two words. The first thing I'm going to say is homes, but that's not quite what I want to say. I want to say in our spheres of influence, Right? In our spheres of influence, or in those around us, those people that are all around us. Um, I'm going to start you out with talking about my kids. Now, when my kids were just about old enough to put together a whole entire sentence, they began this habit. And this habit is something that my wife and I have to have work to try and help and, and fix and create something different. We made rules. We did all sorts of things to help this habit. And the habit is all wrapped around one little thing, and it happens in just a moment of time, and it is automatic. When they go to the car, there's a battle in their minds. It's already happened. It's begun, okay? And that is, as soon as they are thinking we're going to go somewhere, there is a battle about who is going to sit in what seat. And all of the seats have been ranked in their minds of what they're worth, because some are worth more points than others, I guess. And if you try to put four kids and two adults into a car that fits four kids and two adults, somebody gets stuck in the seats that you don't want. All right. So whether we've had a truck, which is an extended cab type truck with, with it seats six, not Olsons though. It seats six other people, <laughs> other people, right? So it, it, we fit in there and we squish in there, but most of the seats are undesirable in that truck altogether. But they do still rank the seats. So the first person to get there wants the front seat. But we've already made a rule, mom and dad get it, and forget it, you're out. That's, that's too bad, right? Too bad. But there is, when you, they ride in my truck, that middle seat in the front, 
okay? And the larger that they get, the harder it is for me to drive. I can't even put it into drive as we're taking all six of us in there. But they rank that. So they get there first if they really want. They hurry to get out, and they'll sit. I've seen them sit in the car for 20 minutes to keep that seat. All right, it's like... It's 85 out, guys. You're going to die in there. <laughs> but they'll sit and they'll wait for that. So then we have, uh, we've had other vehicles where then there's second row and third row seating. And that makes a whole new ranking system for those seats. Okay, So some of them have windows that operate and some don't have windows that operate. And sometimes they get stuck in a bench seat in the middle. And that is the absolute worst. I mean, that is like bottom of the ranks. No one wants to be in the middle and the back because you can't breathe and you're touched by both of your brothers and sisters all the time and nobody wants to be there. So they have come up with this because we then said as parents, right, because we're smart, as parents, and we said, you get there first, you go and you sit in order of how you get there, which seems so logical, doesn't it? Except that they will come and stand outside the door and wait. If they didn't get the first seat, what they wanted, they'll wait because they don't want the middle seat, which is filled in first, or the back row, which is filled in first. So they wait. And then we said, you can't stand by the door because we, oh, shoot, they, they wrecked our plan already. <laughs> they wrecked the plan. So then we said, nope, you need to get in. As soon as you get there, you cannot wait outside the door. So then they got in, and then they did this new thing, is they forgot something at the last moment. So they had to get out right, and go get something, and then they got their better seat that they wanted to do. They're always, they were jockeying for position, right? They're always wanting to do that. And many of them would sit on the outside so as to avoid the middle seat. And you have to climb over me. But don't touch me, right? That's how you do it. You have to get in the order of the seats. And as soon as we get to this situation, as soon as we do that, then they have start to have a negotiation, right? Because they didn't get the seat they wanted. So next time, you're going to have to get the seat. And then they, they fight all around and they get it. And then somebody sits in that seat. And we say, wait a minute. You were in the seat last time. Yeah, but I'll give it to them next time. I'm not giving it to them this time because I got it. I can't give it up if I've got it. Right? <laughs> and that is where we get to so often is they sit there and it's like, I can't even hear you. I don't hear you. I don't know what it is. I'm in this seat and I, I could give it up, but I won't give it up. Right? And so absolutely not, but next time. It's yours next time. No problem. No problem. So this whole seat thing, right, it seems silly, except when we get to that point and we do it as adults. Now, we don't fight for the seats anymore, right? Because we're mom and dad. We don't fight for seats. We tell them this is where we're going to sit. But it still happens. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Especially in here. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. So here we are going to learn something from what Solomon has. And he didn't have a car uh, to have them fight over, but the nature of people to always take and say, I'll help him next time. 
I'll do it next time, okay? They say, I'm not moving from this seat because I've got it now. I'm not giving it up. I'll give it to them next time, all right? But the nature that doesn't leave us from our childhood is often that thing where we say, well, I'll do it next time. I don't need to do it this time because of whatever reason, okay? I'll do it next time. So let's go to Proverbs chapter number 3 as we look at the wisdom that we are to have within our spheres of influences, our homes, our families, our church families, our work, the places that we're in, in, in the grocery store, wherever we are. Proverbs chapter number 3, as we go to verse number 27, as we look at that and we start to define who is in our sphere of influence and how we should treat them. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse number 27 of the book of Proverbs. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give than what thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. All right, so they use the term neighbors, okay? And Solomon uses the term neighbors. Those are people around you, okay? It doesn't have to necessarily be a next-door neighbor where you're living in a certain street or in an apartment or things like that, but the people around you, okay? Whomever they be, family members or not, those people around you, there is often a time when we could help people, all right? When we, it's in our power to do it. Just like my child who sits in the seat and says, I will not give this up. Next time you can have it, but not me, not this time. Perfectly within their power to slide over 18 inches. They could do it. I mean, physically, there's nothing stopping them. We haven't built any barriers for our children to hold them back, okay? It is all within their minds saying, I will not, okay? I won't do it. And that's where we say, oftentimes, we look and we say, well, I could help that person, but I'm busy or I'm tired or I'm not ready, or this is a good one, if any of you are out there serving customers, they can wait, right? They can wait. Or I just don't feel like it. And that's really all that it comes down to within our attitudes. And Solomon says, if you have the power to get up and give them your seat, the proverbial car seat, okay, move over, then do it. That's what he says is wisdom. Do it, and do it now. So who's in your sphere of influence? Well, that could be a friend or a neighbor or a boss or a co-worker, okay? But that also could be your husband or wife and your kids, those people within your influence where you say, man, I'm really tired, and I could help him or her out. I just don't want to. I'll do it next time. And that's not where God says where there's wisdom. The wisdom is in the fact that you get up and you do for them now if it's in your power to do it. 
Okay? If legitimately you do have time, you could make time if you wanted to. It's not just an excuse. Maybe you are tired, but could you do just that little much more to help that person out? Oftentimes, it's our family that we treat the roughest, right? Because they're around us all the time. That's what we do. Right? Or it's the people at work where we've seen them every day for hours and hours every single day. And we're really tired and it's Friday and I don't really want to do it. Okay? Or a customer that's been annoying. Okay? There are those out there. A lot of them, actually. Uh, <laughs> if you work in any sort of customer service or ever have... There's a lot of them that are demanding and they require things of you and they want it now and they don't understand what it's like to be the one that they continually is being sucked out of all the time. But that's not what God says. Well, teach them to understand how, what your position is. He doesn't say that. He says if it's within your power to help them, get up and do it. So that's a mindset change for all of us. Because oftentimes we sit back and we say, I just have things I'd rather do. And however we cover it over and make it right in our minds, we just say, I'd just rather not. I don't want to. Just too busy or just too whatever. Okay? If it's within your power to do it, and it says it there, with not, withhold not good from them to whom which it is due. When it is in the power of thine hand to do it. All right? And it says when your neighbor comes and asks you for something and it's sitting right there, you don't say, eh, come back tomorrow. Just do it. Help them out. Go and do it. Have that attitude because that is, that is godly wisdom. That's how God treats us. If every time he said, you whining again, right? <laughs> Is that you again? Didn't you just ask for me something from me yesterday? It was within his power, which all things are within his power. He helps us constantly. Now, we don't always ask for the things that are best for us. We don't know that. There's a whole other lesson about that. But when we are asking for something that is good within his will, it is his great pleasure to give us things. The God of the universe gives us things. How much more should we get up and serve our neighbor, our friend, our husband, our wife, those that we have, that we have the opportunity. And no doubt, someday, all of those opportunities will answer for. Did you do that when you had the opportunity? Could you have done that? Yeah. Then Solomon says it's wisdom to do it. It's wisdom to help that person out. All right. Verse number 29, as we look a little further, and we read it already, but here is an interesting one. I want to I look at this because it starts, it has a couple of words in there that we don't use every day. Verse number 29, devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. All right? So the people around you are looking for something, right? People go into neighborhoods because they want security. It was years and years ago that my grandfather and great-grandfather and, and family 
came to America. And when they came to America, they came into the Brooklyn shipyards and they got off as a family. And they did not know one word of English. And if you feel like you don't fit in, okay, try to be dropped off in a place where you're all of a sudden going to live and you can't say a word to communicate to people. My grandfather still remembers walking into the girls' bathroom because he's never seen any. There was no pictures in the days. There's one said boys, one said girls. He didn't know. The teacher took him out and took him into the other one to do that because he didn't even know that. So to be comfortable... They moved in what became known as some of the, the ghettos or some of the slums, okay, the Norwegian slums, okay, at the time, which you don't hear much of. But Brooklyn had different people of different ethnicities, and they, they stuck together because they were comfortable. The neighbors that have those people around you are looking for some sort of comfort, okay? Those people that are in your life most of the time, they, when they choose to be there, they're trying to find that place of comfort to be there. So he says, when you have that person in your life, devise not evil. Right? A word we don't use much anymore. Devise. So what does it mean? All right. Well, there's really two things that it, we're going to talk about this morning. But the word devise kind of floats into the word imagination. <clears throat> imagine, you get, you, you get this picture about somebody and you imagine things about them. All right? You use your mind and you imagine things. Now, there's two things you can do. Number one thing is you can imagine what they're thinking. Or, in other words, you can assign them motives. Sign the motives. You could say, my neighbor goes over and mows over onto my property every single day, and I know he does it because he hates me. You could say that. And that's just imagining something and assigning a motive. Okay, maybe there's some nerves out there. I don't know. <laughs> you can assign people motives about what they're doing, and yet that's really devising something against them saying, I'm sure they were thinking that. Okay? Be careful, because it says don't treat your friends like that. Don't treat your neighbors like that. Don't treat those in your sphere of influence like that. Don't imagine things and say, I knew you were thinking that. You don't. You don't. The Bible talks about assigning good motives to people. Assign them the best motives. Let them prove you wrong, okay? But you should uh, devise good things, okay? So number one thing you do is assign the motives. And the next thing you do is you start making plans. Once you've assigned the motives, you make plans. And those plans are to get back. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to go stab them with a knife or something like that, okay? But you may have other things that work that you find of how to get at them. Other words you use, other things you do, you create a frenzy around, 
you, you're able to create a situation where you know it makes them feel uncomfortable and you just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Because you've assigned them the motives already, because they're so they're guilty, right? They did it. Because I pretty sure they did, right? <laughs> but I don't have any I don't have any uh, proof. I just know that that's what they're thinking. And yet that's what the Bible says, don't assign them motives. Don't devise evil things against your neighbors. All right? When we do that, we become accusers and destroyers, right? That's what we're going to do. Yep, we're accusing them of doing something, and now I'm going to destroy them because they did it. However it is, if I got to emotionally destroy them, whatever I got to do, I'll do it. All right? Accusers and destroyers. Guess what that sounds a lot like? Guess who that sounds a lot like? Mm -hmm. Not like God. Satan is the word that means accuser. All right? So just be aware when we assign people our motives. Have wisdom in how we treat people. Do not assign them motives. Do not accuse them of things. Do not make plans to destroy things. That's what Satan does. God brings forgiveness. God brings love. God brings light and truth. Yes, truth. But it is always brought in an edifying way. That means you get built up and I get built up. That's how God does it. If God wanted to accuse us, he sure could. Every one of us. right Pin us right to the mat and we'd never get up again if he wanted to accuse us. But that's not the way God does it. He's probably right. He could accuse us, and we'd be wrong, every one of us. And yet, God says, no, 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 that's not the way I act. I forgive, and I make plans for your welfare, not for your destruction. That's God. And so have wisdom and treat people like that, forgiving, loving, edifying, seeking to build up. Okay? Verse number 30. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. Here's one. <clears throat> Do not be confrontational. You could say, well, my personality is such that it's just natural for me, right? And I'm bold. And assertive. And that's what I call myself, right? <laughs> right? And I'm right. So that helps on top, right? No, no, no. Just don't be confrontational about things. Do not treat people always with a confrontation. All right? Yes, it's true. Some personalities have more uh, vigor to them, okay? Some personalities have the ability... Uh, to stand up and won't take no for an answer. And that is a good personality when you use it to stand up for others who are being wronged. When you use it to stand up for yourself, be careful. You wronged me. No, 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 that's not what God says. I can't let you wrong him. Stand up for that person. Because that's what God gave you that personality for. 
to be an advocate for others. And there are people who don't like confrontation. And guess what? They've got ways that they can gently approach people, that people that are a little more uh, prickly may not, okay, may not have. And they can talk to people that you can't talk to. They can approach people that you can't. And you just, it's not even in your field of influence. But both of those personalities have good things and bad things. Because also within that, that uh, person that's a little softer, less prickly, more softer, okay, they can also unplug and just float away, okay? Hide in their shell, and, and they're going to. They're much more of a turtle than a porcupine, okay? All of those personalities can be used for by God every single time. And it's, have, it's having wisdom to understand who you are, and if you're one of those porcupine-type people, then use that for advocacy for people who need it. Not for ourselves. But for others. That's wisdom. Not only just telling you what Solomon says. So you could choose not to do it, but it'll be a struggle in your life. All right, verse number 31. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Do not look at the people around you who you know have no interest in God and you see that they are seeming to do great in their life. Do not look and say, why can't I do that? Why, can't, why doesn't God let me do great things like that person? That person is mean and nasty and greedy and, and powerful and all sorts of things and they seem to just only keep doing well in their life. Don't be fooled by that. All right? Don't be fooled by that because many people who have a great outward shell all right, really do not have that on the inside. And what you find is people when they see you in person they give you that outward shell. You read it on social media somewhere. That's all outward shell. There's nothing much of great value of what's really going on in that person. They give you the best. They put all the flowers and things in their house and everything's neat and perfect, okay? And they take a picture of it. But that's not always what's going on, okay? Be aware of that, of, of looking for someone else and saying, I'd like to be like that person. Especially one of the people that are doing wrong things. It says, don't, for the froward is an abomination to the Lord. Now, we don't use the word froward very much anymore, okay? But we sure know what the word stubborn means. And that is what it means. Stubborn people. All right? That's not of God. Being stubborn is not quality that God looks at and says, hey, that's great. You're doing a great job. Tenacity, yes. But tenacity is fighting for what is right, not what I want. There's a subtle difference. 
fighting for what's right and not what I want. I have had that where I swore up and down that I was fighting for what was right in positions of leadership that I've had. And for a long time, I convinced myself that it was. And then really later on, after a great struggle and battle, I found out it was really just what I wanted. I wasn't going to be told what to do. I was very good at telling myself that I was just, it was just me standing up for what was right and not me saying, I got a stubborn side of me. Right? That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for, yes, you to stand up, use that hard personality that you have for good, not for getting what you want. Okay? And that's what stubbornness is. All right? Don't look at those people and say, well, they get what they want, so I'm going to do it. He says, if you want what's good, if you want what's good, go for the righteousness. And that righteousness, he said, gives you the secret of the Lord. The secret of the Lord. Something special and unique that God only can give you. And what is that secret? Verse number 33. The curse of the Lord. This is the real situation. This is what's really going on. It appeared like they were doing very well. Those people not following God. And that you were struggling on your side. But this is really what's going on. Verse 33. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. So they are day and night being dogged by their conscience. Okay? And whether they've turned that off or not, they do not have a good end. A good night's sleep with a free conscience is a good thing that the righteous people in this world have. Just a free conscience. Do what you need to do to me. I'm standing here. I've done what I've done. I've admitted that I've done it. But I've asked for forgiveness and that's it. There's nothing to hide. And when there's nothing to hide, then God gives freedom. But he that blesseth the habitation of the just, okay? He blesseth the habitation of the, the just. He's going to give you blessings in your life. Blessings in your family, all right? Your life will not be perfect, but part of the blessing is to understand when, that he is going to teach you to recognize the good things you do have in this life. He's going to change you. He's going to change me to understand, wow, there's a lot of things that God does for me every day. A lot of things that God gives me every day. Verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. So he fights back. He laughs at those people who mock God because he knows the end is not. The end is not good. For those who mock God. But he gives grace. Unmerited faith. Grace to the just. The righteous. You will get favor from God. Verse 35. The wise shall inherit, the, inherit glory. But shame shall be the promotion of fools. So to finish up here. Wisdom brings not fame, 
not fortune necessarily, not prestige necessarily, but it brings something purer and better. Those people who choose to have God and seek after him in their life, choose to have wisdom and use it in their relationships, in their spheres of influence, will get something called glory. All right? And yes, the heavenly glory of someday is true. But even in this life, glory is something that's a hard word really to understand. We talk about the glory be to God. Okay, but glory describes a state of purity, of freedom, of sinlessness, of selflessness, of sharing in joy, of pleasure, of true power, of love. That's glory. Okay, it's a state, interesting state. God is in that state all the time. But here's the secret of the Lord, is that there's something deep and meaningful that he gives to the righteous people. Those people who will not seek after wisdom in their life will not have deep meaning in their life. They will live in a shallow place. Without God, they will live in a shallow place. With God... With some hard knocks along the way, no doubt, there will be depth that you cannot get in any other way. You share in God's glory, all right? Because he's kind enough to share it with you. It's all from him. So if we learn to treat others, not where we are saying, well, I'll help him tomorrow, all right? And we learn to use our personalities in such a good way and not devise accusations against others, if we learn not to assign motives, not to make plans against another person, if we learn to be of comfort, not to be confrontational to those people around us, God says, he'll bring wisdom into your house and you'll get glory in a way that you've never gotten it. You will have it. And your, the blessings will be right from God. That's the secret of the Lord. The secret that people without God cannot have. Those who are with God have that secret in their lives, and they recognize it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you.